Are you interested in innovative education and diversity in school models? Do you see a need for something different to bring about a reformation in our current education system? If so, then you've come to the right place. Join us as we discuss what's trending with unconventional learning models, including microschools, homeschool co-ops, creative learning centers, hybrid school models, and so much more. I am your host, Delina Wallace, president and founder of Wichita Innovative Schools and Educators, also known as WISE. This podcast, Wise and Otherwise, explores what our local hub of education entrepreneurs are doing in Wichita. We will also explore and offer brief introductions to the many local and national organizations that support innovation and education. Welcome to Wise and Otherwise. Okay, today we have James Franco from Kansas Policy Institute joining us. And I've had the pleasure of getting to know James over the past year. And um, he's a wonderful advocate for innovative education. And he's a homeschool dad himself. He has visited many of our micro schools and sat in on some of our meetings. So James, thank you for being here today. If you don't mind, um, tell us a little bit about your background. Like for example, what type of education, I already mentioned that you are a homeschool dad. Um, tell us a little bit about your interest in education, what that looks like for your own family. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. And it's been a pleasure to get to know Wise over the last uh, 12 months or so uh, yeah. since we had an event uh, that you crashed at the Hyatt uh, uh, about a year ago. So uh, it's a pleasure and getting to know some of the folks uh, has been fun. Um, so my wife and I were both public school kids. I grew up in the Kansas City area, kind of, you know, the leafy suburb thing. And then my wife grew up in a small town. She had 20 odd kids in her graduating class. Um, and it was when it was time for us to, you know, educate our kiddos, you know, we were like, well, my wife was already staying at home. Why don't we just try the homeschool thing, you know, because of the way kindergarten works in Kansas and enrollment and, um, we bought it hook, line, and sinker, and we've been doing it ever since. We now have three kids. Um, we go to a co-op. So I don't know if that qualifies as a micro school necessarily, but it certainly gets into the hybrid um, education. So that's, you know, our personal, you know, story, as it were, as far as how we're choosing to educate our kiddos at this point. Um, and then KPI, of course, spends almost all of our time talking about education policy in the state in one way or another. It's roughly um, half of what the state spends in the state budget every year is on K-12 education. That doesn't count what the local districts spend or what the feds spend. So anytime you're talking about tax policy or spending policy, you're talking about education, which then gets you into the questions of what's the best way to educate the young people in the state. And right. that um, is the most important thing the state does. It's the most expensive thing the state does. And then that led us into talking about school choice, about reforming, you know, public education. Then ultimately, you know, that led you and I to cross paths um, as we're talking about kind of the, I say emerging, but the emerging world of micro and hybrid education. Um, but that's probably just because it's emerging in my mind, not understanding how it has existed, you know, up until this point. And then maybe the, you know, the the pandemic and learning and all that kind of stuff just stripped the scales from a lot of people's eyes about what was really been going on under our nose the whole time. And I mean that in a good way, uh, under our nose. Right. It's just, it, it is 
caused us to be aware of it in a different way than we would have been three years ago or five years ago or something. Sure. And we know like innovative education has a strong history in the state of Kansas and throughout the U.S. Homeschool families have been doing it forever. You know, we have been outside of the uncon or outside of the conventional classroom setting. Um, and then a lot of homeschool families, you know, I'm a homeschool mom myself. A lot of us have, you know, these creative environments where students will get together, whether they call it a co-op, whether they call it a hybrid school or micro school. Um, so yeah, we know it's been happening. And both of us, we have a, a common friend in Becky Elder. Right. And we know that with her family, she comes from this lineage of school founders and has also founded the Northfield School of Liberal Arts. And before that, her father founded Collegiate. So, you know, I think it has been around for a while. But like you said, the pandemic has definitely seen this growth in the movement and raised a lot of awareness so that families are aware of their options and they're thinking outside of the box in a new way, you know, in ways that they didn't used to. Um, so as you know, like our group is serving these educational entrepreneurs, those who have started their own school or they've started their tutoring centers or some form of an educational business. So when we met about a, a year ago, you were there. Um, it was like a, a luncheon type event about school choice and school choice policies in Kansas and kind of like looking at it elsewhere in other states and what it can look like and that sort of thing. And so right away, you know, I was there meeting Carrie McDonald at the same hotel and just, you know, a couple hours later and I was like, well, this is ironic. Like I should attend this luncheon as well and familiarize myself with what's happening. Um, you know, I don't necessarily stay on top of things with policy or I hadn't beforehand. I just knew that in other states, there were a lot of amazing things like these ESAs, education savings accounts happening, but I just knew that, okay, that's not really an option for us in Kansas. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what are some options? How, how can we see some school choice policy that is in effect currently in the state of Kansas? So the only private school choice program that we have uh, in Kansas is a tax credit scholarship. Um, and I'll try to give the broadest strokes because um, it's different in tax credits. The terminology of them is confusing, uh, but the short version is this isn't uh, a tax credit that you or I get for educating our kids, right? It is a tax credit scholarship whereby somebody donates money to a designated nonprofit that's called an SGO, uh, pretty light touch regulatory wise, right? And then they get a credit on their taxes in order for that nonprofit to be able to give scholarships to other kids, not their own children. There's actually some pretty explicit nepotism protections in the bill. That's not what it's intended to do, right? This isn't like the child tax credit that we're familiar with at the federal level or something. This is, I give money to a nonprofit, that nonprofit then gives money to other people, and then I get the benefit of a credit on my state taxes. Um, and then I get to know that I'm helping kids achieve their educational goals, right? So then on the scholarship side of things, kids who come from a household that earns up to 250% of the federal poverty limit can attend a private school in the state of Kansas um, if they are K through eight. And then once you get a scholarship, you can keep getting it moving forward. 
there, there's a key difference here that probably, frankly, precludes most, if not all, micro schools and hybrid schools from participating. And it's that the schools have to be accredited either by the state of Kansas or um, roughly 20, 25 different non-governmental accrediting bodies, some of which are secular, some of which are religious. Um, so what this really means is that it helps kids attend brick and mortar private schools, Catholic schools, parochial schools, you know, in the Wichita area, collegiate, Trinity, independent, you know, these types of, of institutions, a Berean Academy, you know, what have you, yeah. um, and a lot of other ones, but not as much the micro schools. And that's the only private school of choice program that we have in the state. Mm -hmm. um, there's some public school of choice programs between interdistrict transfers and things of this nature. Uh, we don't have a functional uh, charter uh, movement in the state. Um, which we can talk about if you want to, but it's not necessarily as germane. Well, if you and don't then, mind, tell us a little bit more about the um, the open enrollment. You yeah. called it the interchangeable. What did you right. just so say? So it's inter-district. So it's inter just, so just, you know, in the broadest strokes, it's supposed to make it easier for a kid from Andover to attend a school in Wichita or a kid from Wichita to attend a school in Mays. It takes effect roughly, you know, 10 months from now. Um, so it's supposed to make it easier to enroll across district boundaries, um, but there is still an, a big reliance on the receiving district um, to be able to set capacity. So again, I'm not casting aspersions. I'm just using this for the purposes of examples. If this Wichita schools had somebody who said, I want to attend Wichita East from Andover, and the Wichita School District said, okay, our capacity is 1,000 kids at Wichita East or what have you. And that kid represented the 1,001st kid, then they would not be eligible to attend. But if, but then this is the tricky part, but if that kid's family moved into the catchment area of Wichita East, then Wichita East would have to take them. And that's what makes it just kind of, um, Clunky, so it's a step in the right direction when that passed uh, two years ago, I believe it was, and it will be implemented or take effect for the next academic year. Um, and then you've got magnet schools and other stuff like that. And then you also have a pretty robust virtual education um, things where you have, I don't know, 70, 80 different virtual academies around the state where um, that are run by public schools. I mean, I know homeschool families who are enrolled in these for kind of their core curriculum, you know, math, mm -hmm. English language arts type stuff. Um, they do a lot of the school day online and then they use other homeschool curricula, you know, as kind of wraparound programs um, for, you know, some of their other uh, courses as well. Well, and another thing that I've found that, you know, it's not, to me, it didn't seem like it was common knowledge, but um, homeschool students are able to take classes part-time, like in-person, right, at public schools. Are they supposed to be allowed? Is that a right at every school? I don't know if I would constitute it as a right, um, but there was some Learn Anywhere language a couple of years ago that was also included at the same time the open enrollment stuff passed. Um, and there are some part-time and course enrollment uh, provisions as well. Um, again, I don't know that right is the right word uh, for that, but I know there is provision for it. Um, and then just uh, 
taking effect right now for the first time is the ability for homeschool kids to be able to participate in high school activities through their local district. Right. So we typically think of football or something like that, right? But it could also be debate or band or something like that. Whereas before, um, public schools may quibble with this, but they were functionally prohibited from doing so. Um, but that law changed uh, to take effect, you know, just right here at the beginning of this academic year. And so that's something- 200 kids who have elected to uh, participate in, so it's Keisha, which is the Kansas State High School Activities Association events through their local school who are homeschooled kids around the state. Yeah, and that's something that can benefit a lot of our micro school students because most of the micro schools, hybrid schools, co-ops are having their students um, register with the state as homeschool students if they haven't already been homeschool students. And so they would qualify. So if they are registered with the state as a homeschool student, but they attend a couple days a week, you know, at, at Wildflower or at Light Academy or something, they could still participate in the public school sports. Is that correct? Yeah, that's my understanding. And I think, I mean, this gets us into, you know, the specific discussion about the innovative nature of mm -hmm. WISE and the schools that you all represent is in the families is education. It was already going this way, but then <clears throat> the pandemic, you know, just like accelerated the trends is that it is in almost every area of our life, things are changing and they're becoming more uh, customizable. Um, and it is education, even within the public school setting, is not done from eight to three, Monday through Friday, you know, and you go to a brick and mortar place and it's just not that. It's not what I grew up as with a, you know, a public education in Kansas. It's changing. So the idea that we should allow families the flexibility to play sports through their local district or take maybe a science course through their local district or whatever, but then do other things or spend time in a co-op or what have you, um, is a remarkable change in how education uh, should be delivered. Um, we shouldn't expect, you know, a system that has 400,000 kids in the state to serve each of those kids well. So we should be leaning into that kind of innovation. Um, right. We should be trying to make it, you know, as innovative as we can, knowing that almost or not the vast majority of kids are always going to attend public schools and that's great. So we should make sure that they are as high functioning um, and high performing as they can be while giving space for families who want to do something different. Yeah. So that leads us into, I would like to kind of look at a projection toward the future, what we would hope to see um, with KPI. What are the goals ultimately with education and, and policy? So our longest, our longer term goal, and it is going to be a long fight, is universal school choice mm -hmm. uh, of whatever sort. And that can look lots of different ways. There's these education savings accounts or ESA programs that exist um, around the country. We can talk more about that. Um, but then Oklahoma just passed, and this is where the tax credit thing gets clunky. They passed an individual tax credit. Um, that is refundable to you, the taxpayer. So if you've got three kids, you're educating them, you know, not publicly, um, then you can get a credit on your state taxes in Oklahoma different than what we've got here, right? So, <clears throat> excuse me. So 
it is universal school choice. And we're uh, at this point agnostic as to which approach or it doesn't have to be one or the other. It can be just, we want the money that every family pays in taxes um, to be able to follow that kid to the educational setting that provides them the best opportunity to succeed. And you've got multiple kids, I've got multiple kids. What works for my oldest may not work for my youngest. And right. that's gonna be different than what works for our middle kiddo. Mm -hmm. So we should, again, it's going to be different across families, let alone across the state. Um, so that's the long-term goal um, because we have a uh, responsibility as a state to fund the educational interests of the state and of kids. I don't know that we have the, you know, responsibility to fund schools per se. Our interest is in the individual children, not the institutions of school district one, two, three, four or private school XYZ. It is about the kids. And I know that's a cliche and a platitude and I apologize, but it's the reality. So that's where we're going long-term. That's why we're supportive of expanding the tax credit. That's why we're supportive of open enrollment and course choice things. It's why you know we work every year to try to advance the ball on school, uh, on education savings accounts that are broader based. Um, and it's why you know we're watching what happens in Oklahoma with their new tax credit program very closely to see if it's good, bad, worse, and, you know, just to understand it because it's the first in the country. Yeah. And then, um, you know, more near term, uh, although these are all long-term, you know, policy fights um, or discussions, I shouldn't say fights um, and debates is, uh, you know, there's some discussions about, you know, what homeschooling is defined as in the state. So we want to make sure that we work with the homeschool community to get a good definition of homeschooling, home education, um, if that's what the homeschool community wants. So we're ready to help them in any way that we can. You know, a state like Georgia a couple years ago passed a Learning Pod Protection Act that tries to, you know, prevent uh, the death by a thousand cuts of regulation from uh, municipal or county or state governments, you know, to kind of uh, prevent you know, home or micro or hybrid education from existing. Uh, so we're looking at that really closely and hope to push that in this upcoming legislative session. Um, you know, blessedly, um, you know, we've heard a couple of things from different micro uh, educators in the Wichita area or around the state. Um, but fortunately, it's been one-offs that maybe could be navigable, um, you know, with the right kind of assistance. Um, whereas in some states you hear horror stories about, you know, states regulating these micro schools out of existence. So we just want to make sure that we're, you know, taking a belt and suspenders approach to protect home education, micro education, hybrid, all of it, unconventional education, call it that, um, so that we can meet the needs of, of families now and then into the future. Right. Um, one of the things I've really appreciated, like, so as you mentioned, in the state of Kansas, we have a lot of freedom and not a lot of regulations for starting school, not a lot of regulations with when it comes to homeschooling. Um, and we really value our freedom with that. And as a, you know, I would say I'm not a necessarily a traditional homeschooler at this point, but I certainly started out and spent years you know, like whatever you think of with the homeschool mom sitting around her table, you know, in the dining room with all her kids there and trying my hardest to teach all five subjects to all six of my children, you know, at one point that was kind of me attempting to do that on my own. And now, thankfully, I've 
wise. <laughs> no, I have I have just recognized my capacity and where I need to reach out for help. And you know, my kids get to attend a micro school one day a week. We have a co-op one day a week. We've hired private tutors. My oldest daughter, she's now attending a private school. So we have a lot of mix. I definitely identify more as like a, a hybrid schooler, a hybrid homeschool mom. Um, but as far as those freedoms go, I know that I have a lot of hardcore, very traditional homeschool families who are worried about what might happen if school choice policies come, if there's if there's government money coming in, you know, what's what's that gonna look like and would there be infringement and things? And so I've really appreciated your um, your approach and your understanding and your desire to also protect the freedoms of these traditional homeschoolers. And those who don't want to participate in a school choice program, if one were to be passed, if there were ESAs available in Kansas, allowing families to not participate, but rather to opt into the program if they choose to, but then also just really safeguarding those who want nothing to do with it. So. No, that's exactly right. So the baseline thing here, right, whenever I talk to anybody about this is KPIs against mandates, almost full stop from mm -hmm. the government, right? I can't think of any mandate that we would necessarily like. Um, when it comes on government mandating something on private citizens, which means if you don't want to take some future ESA money, then you don't have to. And we would work to prevent that from, I mean, we would pull the plug on an ESA bill that we were pushing if it was like yes. every kid who doesn't attend a private or a public school has to take, it, it, it's just, it, right. one, it's not going to happen. Two, we would oppose it, right? And I know the other groups that we work with um, would oppose it as well. Mm -hmm. And on the homeschool, you know, definition thing, and uh, just backing up just a half a step briefly, I mean, we're the uh, supporting, you know, the homeschool advocacy groups in the state. This is not something that we're leading. If, right. you know, the Midwest parent educators or the Kansas home educators or anybody else, you know, has a, a strong perspective on this um, and years, decades of expertise, you know, we're helping their effort. We're not leading this exactly. kind of a thing, right? right. Um, and, you know, we have a presence in Topeka, so we're happy to, you know, offer that kind of, you know, process expertise and that kind of stuff, but they're leading the policy discussion. So, um, but then the, um, you know, the states that have zero private school choice also have some of the most strict homeschool laws in the state. You look, or in the country, you look at New York or California that have zero school choice and it's not going to happen anytime soon. They also have the biggest, you know, regulatory burdens on home education as well. States that have ESAs, Florida or a tax credit in Oklahoma or what have you have broad, call it homeschool freedom. Um, and they also have school choice. So there doesn't appear to be any kind of correlation between these things. Right. Um, so, you know, we will be vigilant. Uh, we'll stand beside anybody who wants to, you know, push back against government regulations almost of almost of any sort, <laughs> uh, be yeah. it education or economic or anything else. Um, we have, a, you know, a pro bono law firm. This is not an offer of legal services, but if anybody's rights are violated, we encourage you to reach out um, to them as well, kansasjusticeinstitute.org. Sorry about the shameless plug. Um, <laughs> but um, 
we're ready to help anybody who runs into those kind of regulatory burdens um, and work to ensure that any school choice program or Learning Pod Protection Act or Homeschool Definition Act or anything else that kind of falls within that broad spectrum of you know education reform is done in a way that supports families and supports the schools that are educating those kids, not something that makes it harder for them to act out their mission, their faith, um, or what have you. Um, we want innovation, not a cookie cutter type of approach. Right. Yeah. And I very much have appreciated KPI's take on that and just their, you know, I think at one point I was kind of like cautious about the whole thing. Like, okay, do they just want to push school choice policy at any cost? Like, you know, irregardless of what this will do to other families that don't want it or homeschoolers who are resistant or whatever. And I remember kind of asking you point blank, like, would you endorse and push this no matter what? And you were like, of course not. Like, you know, there are certain things, you know, we want the policy to be written well. And I think, you know, that's part of like why I'm engaged in this as well as like, I want to help represent those who want total freedom on the, like say the homeschooling side, as well as those who are trying to be creative and serve students and provide options for families. I see value in both. And like you said, I don't feel like they have to be, they're not mutually exclusive, you know, like only one can operate in the state of Kansas at a time. So, um, I've just really appreciated learning more about KPI and the services that you offer. If you want to quickly, you know, we'll just um, tie things up here, but like, tell us a little bit, if there's an education entrepreneur in the state of Kansas and they encounter some sort of barriers or something, what steps should they take and, and how can you provide services for them? So uh, we're not like a for hire service kind of a thing. And I know that's not what you meant, but just so that we're clear, right? Um, you know, we exist because of the generosity of Kansans who agree with our mission. Um, but we've got a lot of different capacities, right? I work primarily at the policy shop. So we're spending our time talking about, you know, doing this kind of thing, uh, spending a lot of time in the legislature, you know, white papers and, you know, that kind of thing, um, academic studies and whatnot. And the more stories that we get from people saying, hey, this is my lived experience with this. It's not in the abstract is great. So you can reach out to me. You know, all of our stuff is at all the online watering holes, Facebook, Twitter, or X, or whatever it is that we're calling it. <laughs> then we do have that, you know, uh, pro bono law firm uh, where we've represented people from uh, raw milk farmers uh, to eyebrow threaders, uh, to a dog trainer, to all sorts of different kinds of people. We'd love to do uh, education stuff as well. And that's the Kansas Justice Institute. And then if there is just a compelling story to be told, we also have a media outlet called The Sentinel, where we've actually highlighted a couple of folks uh, through the WISE uh, community um, as well, where we can just help highlight those stories and shine a light on you know where it needs to either, hey, look at these great things that these people are doing, or if, oh, here's this regulation that's causing this person headaches, you know, if it's an HOA uh, doing something that they shouldn't, you know, it, um, we can highlight that story as well. And hopefully that, uh, you know, moves the needle for them and, and gives them the flexibility to keep serving kids. Right. 
Well, again, I appreciate so much all that KPI does. You know, as education entrepreneurs, a lot of us, we just have our head down and we're just teaching kids. We're focused yeah. in our educational business and just dealing with things with parents and students directly. And so, you know, it's really valuable to know that there are those who are involved in policy who kind of have our backs and are looking out for us and want to make sure that we can continue to thrive and offer these services. So thank you so much for all that you do. And thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. Happy to do it. Reach out anytime. All right. Have a good day. All right. Take care.